0: Hey there, friends. Welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo, and we come to you every day with a great interview. And today, we've got something incredibly unique for you. Today, my guest is Helio Vogas. And, you know, if you've ever had a fear or a phobia, let me tell you something. This guy has figured out how to conquer his and use them, turn them into strengths. You see... From someone who had a phobia of heights to becoming addicted to skydiving, Helio has learned a valuable lesson when it comes down to taking risks, and that's you don't need to be a courageous person to take big risks and enjoy the rewards. Now, when you hear him talking about his surfing or skydiving experience and see him doing stunts on stage, and if you go to his website, you can see all kinds of really cool stunts, You might think Helio doesn't care about safety at all and he likes living dangerously. The truth is that he's one of the most scared people you'll ever meet to the point of always parking the car on the street toward the nearest hospital to save precious seconds just in case. Now, when it comes to the corporate world, Helio shows audiences how to take bold risks and why taking bold risks are the safest option if you want your organization to survive in this day and age. He's spoken from to everyone from local business breakfast groups to giving a TEDx talk, and he's even spoken at the United Nations headquarters in Vienna. Today, he's speaking with us, and it's my honor to welcome Mr. Helio Vogas to the Inside BS Show. Helio, welcome. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Dave. Thank you for, so much for having me here today. All
0: right, let's talk a little bit about you being the scaredest person we know. I don't think that's true. Give us give us an example of something that was concerning to you or that scared you.
1: Okay, uh, as you said, like I always parked the car towards the <laughs> hospital when I... When well, I'm most, uh, parking in front of the house, I live in a ha- uh, on a street that's uh, pretty residential so uh, I can choose the, which way to park. It's easier for me to just drive off. But the example of the skydiving for instance. I remember when I was in Vegas the first time. I was living in Vegas and I went to meet a potential business partner on a bar in the real hotel like what I didn't know was that the hotel was on the top floor so I, went, I entered the elevator, of course by then I, I knew it was already high uh, high up so I pressed up, I went to the elevator in the casino of the hotel and I found it really strange because I saw first floor casino, second floor casino, a really big blank slate and then roof bar, 52nd floor so I pressed and I pressed and I thought like uh, just that, that was in 2011, so I'm did not have smartphones yet and, not, and nothing. So I was just staring at the, at the numbers uh, near the door, and I found it really weird because I don't know where the elevators start becoming brighter. And I was like, what? This hotel, such such a good hotel, has a broken elevator, and now the lights are finally turning on. But then I turned around and I started seeing there was actually a panoramic elevator. Freaked out. I start. I lived right aclo- across from the hotel, so I start seeing my house from there, and I was like, I, I froze. I all the way to to the top of the uh, of the building. To when I reached the bar, I was like glued to the door, pretty much, trying not to, to panic and controlling myself. And then when I, after I got there, I did not have much mind for anything else, and. <laughs> And I was wondering for like half an hour, like, should I go down 52 flights of stairs or just take the elevator again? That's how scared I was. Um, so, and, and I still have a kind of like a, the fear of heights when I'm, for instance, climbing around the house to fix something on the roof or something. But it's not near as it was back then. So what I did was, just to solve that thing, was like, I, uh, I, I'm uh, an expert in, in NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. So I said, like, I cannot help my, my, my clients to overcome phobias when I myself, I have this fear. So I was like, how? OK, let me use my own techniques on myself and uh, put it to work. And I felt it work, but I did not have any way to test it. So I was like, what do I do? Uh, maybe I can try to see bungee jumping. Yeah, I don't like bungee jumping because uh, it's really bad for your spine and for your retina. So it's like bungee jumping is out of question. What else can I do? Like, oh, I'm gonna try skydiving. And I was like, okay, let me go for for skydiving. It's a pretty safe sport. I, I run the. I'm a numbers guy, so I I was running the numbers, and I saw I found out like skydiving is safer than driving a car. So. When I, when I saw that and I saw all the safety involved, I was like, yeah, I'm going to try it only once. I'm going to do the first jump of the course, and then I'm, I don't want to jump with someone behind me because I'll be trusting that person, so I want to jump by myself. And I did it, and I became addicted to that sport. It was such a rush of adrenaline, and... for each, It's funny to say that, but the scariest part of skydiving is not actually when you're falling, but it's after your parachute opens. Well, once the parachute opens and you have to, to pilot the, the, the parachute, that's the scariest part. Especially because my instructors did not t- teach me that part. <laughs> and they were so worried I would be afraid of, of the jump. And I was not because of all the preparation I had. But once the parachute opened, I got scared. Because they did not tell me that when you pull uh, to do a curve on one side, the parachute is supposed to move away from your body. So I was thinking that there was something wrong with my parachute, and I end up doing like curves like a baby, like like minimum one degree changes instead of doing like a full 180. So like I, I'm super scared whenever it's something uh, that I don't know if it's right, if it is thing, or if it is uh, safe. So I'm always looking for the I'm always looking for the danger. It's kind of like when when you... Do you own a gun?
0: No, I, I don't own okay. a gun.
1: Uh, in, in, in gun shooting, there's uh, four basic rules. Well, the first one of them is... Always treat your gun as loaded. Because you don't know if, the, if if a gun is loaded or not. So, it's better to be safe and assume the gun is loaded. And I treat that pretty much with everything that I don't know the specifics of. Is I always treat something as dangerous unless I know... That something is safe, and it's a paranoid part of me. But it allows me to take so much risk because it drives me to study those things.
0: All right. So tell me, um, I'm interested in the NLP techniques you used on yourself to overcome that fear. What what NLP techniques did you use that got you up into the plane?
1: Uh, first off, is realize what my fear is. Like it's that was ten years ago now. 2011, 2012, so nine, ten years ago. So I don't remember the specific techniques, but I understand the process. It was, I, I first analyze like what what is that gives me the fear, and then I I changed the the meaning of the fear. And one thing I do, often with everything I do is uh, a lesson I learned from uh, fitness, from bodybuilding, which is progressive overloading. So I start facing my fears, slightly. Uh, something s- slightly scarier every time until I can again I can do the biggest stuff. so I started m- seeing myself in higher places and studying the uh, one of the things that, that, that helped me the most was really studying into the safety measures in skydiving uh, all, all the, the safety equipment all, how hard as actually is for someone to die if they follow the procedure. And once I started putting those things in, I understood how my brain works with all this math stuff. I started saying, like, yeah, the, there's no fear. And and I got surprised because all my instructors skydiving, they were like, my first time on the plane, they were like, oh, try this breathing technique. And then they put my hand on theirs and started like... And I was thinking, how ridiculous is that? I'm. That's that's just a, like a bus ride. But that's because I trained my brain into in understanding everything and, and and looking at what exactly was my source of fear. And my source mm-hmm. of fear in case of heights was pretty much the, the impact. It was like I'm, I'm always afraid of like. Oh, I'm gonna be end up falling here. I'm gonna hurt myself there and there and there, and that's why climbing on the stairs and the roof today is still uh, is it doable? But it still has that emotional aspect to it. But when it comes to skydiving, I realized that it it has not or that because it's almost impossible for a malfunction to happen on, on both parachutes.
0: Okay, so how can we use these some of these techniques to overcome, like there are people listening now who have different fears, right? Like I, I share your fear of high places and I've done some something similar. I did cognitive behavioral therapy through exposure to different heights to help me with it. How can people who have other fears, like let's say the fear of speaking, something you do all the time, right? When there's no pandemic, you're on a stage like me, you're on the stage all the time. How can people use those mental techniques that you used to overcome, say, a fear of speaking?
1: Okay, so let me give you my my example. I was afraid of speaking. I was always that guy in school, in university. There was a group work, and we had to present. I'll be the nerd doing all the work and say, like, you guys present. I just, I did all the, the hard work. And I remember one time, when I was young, I used to go partying a lot, and uh there was this hostel in in brazil in rio de janeiro one of the most dangerous cities in the world and they were taking people to one of the most dangerous areas in one of the most dangerous cities in the world and so he has all those safety rules that you have to teach the the foreigners and all that and my friend said can you tell them those rules you you are local you you should be able to do it and wasn't this kind of like a bar setting Uh, preparing for for everybody to go and I was like okay I did not think too much I was like okay so my friend turned off the music and I said like screaming everybody listen up and there was the quiet in the whole bar and when I saw that everybody looked at me I froze it felt like a minute but probably just a few seconds like I was seeing every eye looking at me and unfortunately, another friend of mine just came in and started giving the instructions. So, public speaking as well was another phobia I had. It was another fear. What happened in me in my case is whenever I'm, I'm talking to you right now, to your listeners, or when I'm on stage, or when I'm doing a virtual uh, presentation, I stopped thinking about what people were thinking about me. like Because I used to think, oh, uh, is my hair correct? Uh, I did not have time to go to the hairdresser. My heads quite long. Would people notice that? Or uh, what if I mispronounce this word? Or what if I start uh, 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 making all those mistakes? And once I, uh, I had an experience where I, I was about to commit suicide. I was, I had a physical burnout, and it was really it really hit me hard. I had a knife on my throat. I was about to commit suicide. So after that, uh, things shift for me to the point that I started thinking, how can I give my message, whatever message I'm giving to people, how can I do that in a way they can understand? So my conversation in my mind, instead of thinking about my hair or my speech or or my body language, starts thinking about like, is is the people actually getting it? So if I see someone with a face that it doesn't look like they're getting it I probably right when I'm speaking I go off script and I and I pick up another example to try to get that person to understand so so it makes sense to them so it's not something that I'm just there for myself to serve myself but I'm there to serve the people because uh, I believe they are all my brothers and sisters in God so I need to serve them I need to, to do my best for them and So I'm not going to be like thinking about myself, but focusing on other people. And one of the things in phobias that's the main cause is the focus. When you focus on on the fear of heights, for instance, when you focus on what is it that is going to happen if this thing's malfunction or this other thing malfunction or the grass breaks or whatever, that's going to be a pretty scary thought to everybody. But if you focus instead of what is it that you're trying to achieve, be it like, when I reach a certain altitude, I'm going to pull my parachute, or uh, when I get to the top of the bar, uh, I'm going to be able to to close a business deal, or when I go on the stage, I'm going to help these people achieve that. Whenever I'm focusing on what I want instead of what I'm fearing, as long as I know that there's this, uh, let's call it a safety net, even though it's not really a safety net, but Unless, as since I know that what is gonna happen in the worst case scenario, I know it's not gonna be something uh horrible. It is easy uh, for me to take if I focusing on what I want. I'm I'm a firm believer in, in thinking negatively. I, I I hate this thing like oh you gotta think positive, you gotta think positive. That that's for me that's too wishy-washy. You're like you need to see what is bad and then. Prepare for the thing that is bad, and then focus on, on on what is good. Focusing on the best, but not without ignoring the, the the bad. Like the bad is there, and if you're not prepared, it's gonna kill you. So prepare for uh, prepare for the for the worst, and aim for the best. That's pretty much what I do
0: yeah I, I like your, I like your thought process about focusing on the outcome that you're looking to achieve. I mean that that makes so much sense because for example, if you had a fear of flying and you knew you were going to do a presentation and you could get a five million dollar deal as a result of giving that presentation, you're gonna do whatever you have to do to get on that plane to be able to give that presentation if that you know if achieving that goal of getting that five million dollar deal, is important to you, so I uh, I think that that is a very helpful mindset. So, talk a little bit about what you do when you're when you're on stage to help people when you're presenting to business audiences. Help people understand why the safest thing to do, the best thing to do, is to take risks.
1: Yeah, I show them what. One of the things I do is I show them what. Uh, the big companies are doing, the successful companies are doing. For instance, I loved, I loved so much when, in 2018, on a letter to share the shareholders of Amazon, Jeff Bezos wrote a paragraph about failure. Uh, it, it is so beautifully crafted that it shows exactly that companies need to take risks as they grow. Uh, I have it open here and I can read to you. Uh, he wrote that as companies grow, Everything needs to scale, including the size of the failed experiments. Think about it. Mo- most companies, they don't want to fail more. They are trying to play safe. Amazon is growing tremendously for the last 15, 20 years. And that's because they have this approach. That, as they are growing, they have this, let's say, this failure budget, pretty much, where where, where they are trying to, to fail. Like, think about the, the Fire Phone where they started it was a huge failure one billion dollar failure they're trying to get developers they couldn't they're trying to to get customers they couldn't because it was a whole thing and is already dominated by Apple and by Google so it was a huge failure and you think like oh Amazon it was a bad bat. Amazon lost one billion dollars but they actually didn't because the lessons they learned from it allowed for them to create Alexa and Alexa was a huge success, and they and Amazon has so many different failures. Like if you think about Amazon Pay, the the Amazon clothing company, which I forgot the name right now, and that those little dash buttons that, that you press, like they all they were always trying it, and it, it costs a lot of money for them. But when they had a, a success, they it's more than paid off. And continuing on the on the paragraph that he wrote, it says like. If the, if the size of your failure isn't growing you're not inventing at the size that you can actually uh, that you need to actually move the needle and then he talks that Amazon will be experimenting at the right size uh, the right scale for, for a company of the, uh, on their size so even if they occasionally have a multi-billion dollar failure and think about it that's Jeff Bezos writing to their shareholders if, if the shareholders see those things as negative, Amazon stocks would plunder. But Amazon investors also understand the, and they trust in Jeff Bezos because he's been doing that for many, many years and that's was the reason why Amazon went from a bookstore to everything store and to a hosting provider and to to everything else. Now they're into logistics and they're dominating the market and becoming a multi-monopoly if you think about it because they're having those failures they are they're trying they're they're like burning a lot of money but also when they hit the right thing they all that comes to them and more so that's one way to see it and another way is to look at the failures the companies the the failure to to innovate to take risks the ones that are the industry leaders like for instance kodak or Blockbusters. They were the name brand for, for, for in their industry. But they decided to play safe and not adopt the new technologies. Blockbuster for streaming, Kodak with a digital camera, and both of them failed miserably because they were trying to bring, play safe, play safe, play safe. And instead of playing safe with the new technology, which is the thing that I propose, and I never propose to, when I'm talking to the companies, I never say, like, oh, take risks like crazy. Like, you see an opportunity, bet on it now. But take risks according to what you can. Uh, a multi-million dollar company, you're going to play with a few millions. A multi-billion dollar company should play with a few billions. Uh, and have that in a smart way, And which, going going back to that paragraph, which is a quite long paragraph, his, uh, Jeff was saying that, of course, we won't take such experiments cavernly. We would work hard to make good, them good bets, but not all good bets are actually going to pay out. So you still need to make good bets. It's not like you're, um, you have this money and that's burned through, like marketing departments love to do. Like marketing department, we get to the end of the year, they have like a, a certain amount of uh, a budget still for them to use. And be- just because at the end of the year, they're going to put into any lame advertising campaign just to make sure they use all the budgets so they can claim the same budget next year or more. So, so I'm not claiming to do something like that. The company, should, I don't think companies should do something like that, but they should separate uh, a, a certain part of their budget to, to like just do everything they can in whatever thing that they believe is the right way to go. And they might gonna make bad bats one year, two years, three years, five years maybe, but there's gonna come a time that they're gonna make they're gonna hit the jackpot. That's that's what companies are doing and that's think about Nintendo. Do you know how Nintendo started a company?
0: I can't I can't recall specifically how Nintendo started. They were a us.
1: cards company. They used to make playing cards like Magic the Gathering, like those kind mm. of playing cards but Japanese style. But one of their executives went to to the US and they they saw this uh, playing cards company the, the biggest in the industry and and the executive saw that they, they were operating like a 50 100 people employee uh, 100 employee business and they say like we don't want that we have the money let's let's bet on other stuff and they did instant rice they did uh, vacuum cleaner children's toys, uh, taxis, uh, and they went even to, to love motels. They went into all the categories they could try and when they hit the toy industry they, they saw an acceptance of what the products they were offering. So they investigated more they, they rolled out more products in the toy industry until they came up with a video game uh, which was already booming there with the Atari and all those things and they they, 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 they are like they stumble upon video games and they say, let's try it. Let's make this Nintendo's entertainment system. And, and it was a booming. It was a jackpot. So they lost money in, in instant price. They lost money with vacuum cleaners, with taxis, with everything else. But they hit the jackpot when it comes to, to the toys and later on to the video games. So it's not an a novel concept with Amazon right now. You think about the 80's with Nintendo, they were doing the same thing. And Nintendo took the risk as well when they decided not to compete with Sony. Like Sony and Microsoft, they start building those games and Nintendo could have gone that way. But they said, let's focus on children's game. Let's focus on these certain type of games like uh, Pokemon and Super Mario, those more uh, less gore uh, video games. And let the Sony and, and Microsoft, like, battle in that red ocean. Let's keep ourselves in this little blue pond. And and, and it worked wonderfully for them. They don't have to, to, to struggle so much with new titles, with new things, all the time as Sony and Microsoft have to do. Because they are catering for a whole different uh, audience.
0: All right now, Helio, t- talk to us about your business. This is cause this is the inside BS show. So take us inside the business strategy for Helio Vogas and, and your and your business. You're a professional speaker and we're you know, we're in a pandemic right now, maybe toward the end of the pandemic. But what is your plan? How are you building your business? What are you doing from a sales perspective during the pandemic to help grow your professional speaking?
1: Yeah, I'm still doing a little bit of online uh, keynotes and all that, with mostly my former clients. Mm-hmm. But what I'm doing a lot is in the sales part, doing a lot of lead generation, but not contacting them yet. I'm just building up this bulk of, of, of leads. Leads, so once I say like, oh, things are start booming, then me and my team can start like, like contacting a lot of leads uh with a lot of information about them and can rebook my schedule fully and and one thing that I was doing right before the pandemic um, I'm going to be rolling out in the beginning as well when 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 the pandemic is ending as well it's going to be uh sending event planners a 3D 360, uh, 360 videos from me speaking so they can not only see me but they can put the VR headset, so they can look back and see what oh those people uh, are enjoying as well. So they can see me and the audience at the same time as if they were there. Like
0: oh wow, that's cool. That
1: that is a, something that that I really believe uh, that's gonna be the future, because it's very easy to come up with a with a good demo video. You you hire a good videographer, a good video editor, very easy. But when it comes down to to make it uh, realistic for the event planner, and and understanding that they have this fear, like what is my, what are my people gonna think about it? Having this power to see the video, see me on stage, and look at the side and see what other people are, how they are behaving, not what they are saying, because uh, I have tons of testimonials on my website, video testimonials so they can see. But this could still be like, oh, those are the people they liked. I I, I don't have. Well, human power to record a video from everybody in the audience. So I always have only a few videos from each audience I talk about. I talk to, you. but when you when you're when event planner is able to actually see everyone in the audience at the same time and see their reactions through a through 360 video, it, it is a lot easier for them to to feel confident into hiring me. So I'm, uh what I'm doing to my business is is, is this uh, from a Systemic standpoint is to always go more into the VR uh, wage, so so my event planners, so my clients can can feel more confident into hiring me. But in the sales point is more is it, a is slower process. We're just uh, slowing down and and creating the lead, so later on we can attack. It's the slow down before speeding up, pretty much.
0: Sure. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing from a, from a lead generation perspective. How are, you, how are you connecting with and engaging with event planners so that you can be ready when, uh, when the time is right? What are you doing from a lead gen perspective right now? Right
1: now, I'm not contacting, I'm not engaging with them. I'm pretty much finding them. So I'm, I'm having a few ways to find about events, especially Twitter is an excellent place to finding out events. And, and LinkedIn as well it's wonderful. So I found out these events I, um, they're going to the, the, the CRM the, the CRM is growing 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 growing. and uh, once this, things are start clearing off and we see like in, in, in the future, oh these are go- those, those conferences are gonna happen. they are gonna they're gonna be needing speakers then I can I can even hire more people. To more salespeople to start getting in touch with those people, with those conferences, with those events, and and building the this force of of first impact once things are lifting. So I can uh, book my calendar like even better than it was before. So I can get even more more gigs, even be more booked out than it was before. and, this, and since since I expect by that time to be a pretty busy agenda for me, I'm using this time a lot, especially because my daughter now cannot be uh, going to kindergarten, because I'm on the worst city in Germany. <laughs> in terms of corona, Other cities around me has like 10 new cases a day, ours have 40 new cases a day per 100,000 inhabitants. So I'm, I'm, I'm the number one city uh, of the pandemic here in Germany. So I'm mean, I'm spending this time with my with my daughter with my wife, uh, picking up new passions, new hobbies, uh, and slowing down. But we're still building the, the those leads. So once the the things are, are over, my sabbatical is over pretty much because I'm giving myself a sabbatical. It's a forced sabbatical, and, <laughs> pretty much.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to look it's at it. It's a four sure. sabbatical. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And talk a little bit about how you, uh, how you decide what, uh, what talk you give to what audience. Because so, I noticed on your site you say everything is customized. So tell us about your process for deciding what talk to give to what audience.
1: Okay. That's a pretty good question because sometimes my clients come, they look at my website and they see uh, one thing that they like might, but might not be what they need. And I can give you an example of that. A uh, few years ago, this Fortune 500 company, they bought their main competitor. And the way they operate uh, is that they have one uh, partner in each country selling their their, their software services. Mm-hmm. So imagine now they bought off their, their, their competitors and now suddenly they have two partners per country. So all the partners that have been working with this company, uh, they were afraid. They were all afraid that the, the new competitors, the partners from their competitors, would overtake them and, uh, and would merge. So, they, 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 the, so the company invited me initially to talk about uh, innovation and risk-taking, but I had to change my, my presentation to still... like. Uh, do that. Still talking about innovation and risk taking because it it, it meant it, it fitted with what they were planning for the conference. But I also convinced them to talk about uh, how do those partners, what is how does partners should tackle this merge in a way that is actually beneficial for them, in a way that really? like yeah you're gonna have competition yeah you, uh, uh, the, the 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 it's gonna be the survival of the fittest. Uh, if you if you're better than, than, than the other partner, you're gonna survive. If not you gonna, you're gonna lose this partnership. So you should take this as an opportunity to grow. So think about everything that you be, uh, not trying to, not, not implementing because you're afraid and then you put it on into practice right now. Uh, the same thing with the pandemic now, for instance, the, there's a lot of people who are postponing into going to remote working. I'm not gonna let my employees remote work. I'm afraid we deal with sensitive information. We need to be in the office. Then the pandemic comes and says you either do remote working or uh, you cannot operate unless you're essential business. So those companies they had very short time to uh, to put the remote system in work. And there was this company in Brazil, which was a uh, a brokerage company they have five thousand employees dealing with stocks and all that and all kind of investments and they did not have a remote working but their luck was that they had a remote working plan the cyber security team already had the, the, this plan in place so once the brazilian government said like okay things are shut down now you cannot do any any office work they they, they took three days to, 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 to make all those five thousand five hundred employees into remote workers, it was a huge uh, endeavor that they took. But their luck was that they already had the plan before, because a lot of companies lost a lot longer. They either lost a lot of time or they exposed themselves to a lot of, of cybersecurity risks because they did not have the plan in place. So, if you uh, if you if you're not ready to take the risk, there might be a chance that either because of a pandemic, because of a merge, because of a change in your industry, that you're going to be forced to take that risk. So you're going to be in a reactive place instead of a proactive place. And that's why it's, uh, on my speech, I, I learn about what is the, what is happening in the company, in the industry. And I try to see, is that what they really need? Because they might think that they, they, they need. Uh, Oh, I want this speech here because it's cool, because it has those cool stunts and all those things. But it might be that this other speech or something totally different that I have to come up with for that, for the audience, might be what they need in terms of their reality right now. Are they coming from a reactive place, from a proactive place? Are they... uh, is what they want, what they need right now? Cause a, as a, a as a third-party consultant, it's easier for us to see things that the client cannot. You know that when you're yeah. doing your speeches, like you you get into the company, you see with everything with the fly, fresh eyes, no bias. So it's easier to spot exactly what they what they need instead of and, and and then it comes the art of showing them what they need and how to match with what they want. That's uh, that's the biggest challenge of all, let's say, for for speakers.
0: No, that's great. So Helio, how can people find out more about you, about the types of speeches you give? How can people get a hold of you?
1: They can go to my website. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to link it below. Uh, it's pretty much my name, heliovogas.com. It's a little bit complicated to, to spell it out and, and to put it, so it's easier for them to just uh, click on the link and, and go there.
0: Yeah, we will we will absolutely put a link in the in the show notes so people can link to you. It's heliovogas.com, h e l i o v o g a s.com. We'll put that link in the show notes. Also on YouTube, the link will be directly below the video. And I'm going to share Helio's email address with you too, so that if you, want to, if you want to email him, you want to connect with him directly, you can connect with him. Go to his website. He's got a lot of really interesting, really cool videos there of him on stage doing some exciting stuff with members of the audience. Helio, thank you for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you. I really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Thank you, Dave. It was a pleasure.
0: All right, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS Show. We're back here every day with an interview. We'll see you right back here again tomorrow. We take you inside business strategy, share the insider business secrets, and cut through all the inside BS that may be holding you back. Until tomorrow, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.